Hello and welcome back to Inside Asia after our extended summer break. This week we are delighted to have as our guest a remarkable young Burmese activist. 28-year-old Weiwei Nu is a former political prisoner, a woman and an ethnic Rohingya Muslim, one of the country's most persecuted minorities. Since her release from prison in 2012, she has dedicated herself to working for human rights and women's rights. She formed the Women's Peace Network Arakan as a platform to build peace and mutual understanding between Myanmar's different ethnicities and to advocate for the rights of marginalized women. Through the Women's Peace Network, she has campaigned in Myanmar and around the world for women's rights, an end to impunity, and an end to the persecution and marginalization of her people, the Rohingya. Weiwei has conducted women's empowerment trainings, offered legal education seminars, and organized human rights and peace-building activities. She recently completed her law degree and founded Justice for Women, which operates as a network of female lawyers providing legal assistance for the women of Myanmar. In 2014, she was awarded the End Peace Award for Young Women and Men Building Peace and was selected as a 100 top woman by the BBC. This is Inside Asia, and I'm your host, Jason Abbott. So, Weiwei, thank you for joining us today. Perhaps we can start by talking about how and why you were imprisoned in 2005. Uh, yes, thank you, too, for inviting me. Uh, I was imprisoned in 2005 because my father joined with democracy movement in Burma and he became a member of parliament, uh, a, a member of uh, uh, CRPP, which is called Parli- Committee Representing Parliamentary Parties. And because of that, my father was uh, arrested in 2005 much and after two months later the whole family was arrested including me and we were sentenced for 18 years uh, 17 years plus fine which is equal equal to two years and we were released in 2012 with the presidential amnesty now that's still seven years in um Myanmar's infamous uh, insane prison. How did you cope with that? What kept your hopes alive during that time? Yeah, being a young woman as a teenager, it was very difficult to cope with the situations, which was shocking and unexpected. Uh, but I try uh, to be. Uh, I tried to overcome the situations, the difficulties inside the prison by understanding that this is what happening to me and to my family and a lot of the political prisoners inside and other normal prisoners are just in injustice and it's a political system error and 
country's economic system errors. Particularly in my case, it was totally injustice because we were not able to get a legal consultant, lawyer, and it was closed trial. The trial was totally not uh, impartial. So I understood that it was injustice on me and it was also because they want to collapse the whole family and even they arrest uh, young uh, women, teenager, in uh, w- without doing anything, without committing any crime. But they could able to um, put in jail. So it was like really thinking that it was really uh, uh, unacceptable for me and really quite uh, shocking. And I decided that they want us to because uh, they want us they want us to, to 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 fail or to lose or to collapse but and i thought that why not we uh, stand up by not accepting their will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their will and by covering ourselves and to be morally mentally uh, strong and morally strong mm-hmm. and being um, by being st- strong and to seek for justice and to work for the those systems era okay now so with this mentality I, I try to overcome inside the prison and and, and if I have those uh, when I had those uh, how to say did uh, decisions when I made up my mind, and it was easy for me to cope with other difficulties, you know, in, in inside the prison. Okay. Now, you were released as part of the presidential amnesty that followed the beginning of the reform movement in 2010. You were released in 2012. Perhaps you can give us your thoughts on the reform movement on the reform process. Do you think that this is a real and genuine process of political change or are you more skeptical about the reasons why the military has taken the steps that it has in recent years? Um, Yes. When we were released from jail in 2012, we thought there is, uh, there was r- a real change, mm-hmm. since we have ha- read and heard a lot about the elections and reform process. Of course, when we were released, we saw some changes in cities like Rangon, Mandalay, Nebido. We saw many buildings, we saw many cars, mm-hmm. and people are moving freely. But when we heard the news and informations from the border areas, from the ethnic areas in Rakhine State, in Kachin State and other places. For them, individual responses, their life is not changed. Their life hasn't changed anything. And it's become even more hard for them. And at that time, 
it was a little bit um, we we still have change uh, we we still had uh, hope at that time but in mid after that there were there was by elections in 2012 April mm-hmm. and the Aung San Suu Kyi party wins again like almost like landslide mm-hmm. 43 seat in 46 or 45 seat after that the violence anti-muslim violence step from Rakhine state was welcome us and we were still thinking that it was just accidental but after the violence the failure to prot- the authorities failure to protect the people particularly the muslim community in Rakhine state and other part of the country and encouraging or even involving some um, uh, officials police actors in the in this in those violence reflect us it is not really it's not really accidental uh, violence and up to today since we haven't changed uh, seen uh, any step from the government to it's became more clear that the violence and the uh, anti-muslim sentiment the arising of buddhist nationalism it's it's well packaged it's planned mm-hmm. that's one part again when we look at the other sectors in the country we haven't seen of course if seen that a lot of political it seems to be like uh, many pr- political prisoners were released and the opposition's party is in the parliament and people could able to organize organizations and assembly or do a uh, demonstrations freedom for practice freedom of um, expressions but all those things are very artificial the opposition's party is in the parliament but they have no voice and they're not respected in the parliament again political prisoner a lot of political prisoner were released but more and more prisoners are being charged or sentenced and up to today about 900 farmers are in charge under charge and many uh, activists were go and uh, go in and out and students a lot of, about more than 100 students are uh, students and student supporters are uh, being under charge and again you know freedom of expressions and freedom of uh, assembly it's totally like fake you can as, uh, do assembly but a follow up by following up you will be arrested and it is very difficult for the uh, activists and the civil society sector to hold uh, any kind of uh, assembly or demonstrations to get permissions is difficult again even you get permission you will be arrested there is no guarantee of the uh, freedom of assembly or uh, 
expression but when you organize the uh, assembly or demonstrations against the Muslims or against UN or OIC it's it's fine you will not you will not be arrested so it's freedom of expressions and assemblies are being uh, misused and also the other sector when you look at this those all these are fake and continuing human rights violations in in conflict areas and continuing sexual harassment in conflict areas and continuing land confiscations and those those kinds those human rights major human rights fundamental human rights violations are increasing so by seeing these pictures we have clear that the the transition to democracy is it's a fake it is something that the government the military took step to change from the military to the uh, democracy so called democracy for their safety and for the sake for the sake of their power or their authority that's what we have seen mm-hmm. yeah Okay, now um, you spoke about the, the violence orchestrated against the um, Muslim population and the Rohingya uh, population in Rakhine State. Now you are both uh, an ethnic Rohingya and a, a Muslim. Um, perhaps you could describe for us the realities of the discrimination that you face, even on a daily basis, um, in Myanmar. Um, discriminations, um, persecutions against the Rohingya, it's not a new thing. People might think it's new, but it's not a new thing. It 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 is started since nineteen nineties. The government, the of Myanmar, in uh, ha- has started uh, in, to implement a new controversial 1982 citizenship law in during 1980s and at that time in the whole country uh, the authority uh, replaced the former citizenship card which is national registration card uh, uh, with the new national security card but in the case of Rohingya they replaced uh, they didn't replace with the uh, uh, national security card. Instead, they replace with the temporary registration card, which is known at, as white card. Mm-hmm. So, uh, by promising that they will issue the uh, security card uh, in the uh, very soon, but it never happened. And instead from that, they introduce a lot of discriminatory rules and regulations. Uh, for example, like restrictions on marriage. If you want to get married, you have to get permission. And and in some places, in some villages, if you want to get, uh, uh, they use quota system. So for this month, how many couple will get permissions like that? So if they have more than uh, a quarter of people who want to get married it's became like con- contest so people who have money they can only get uh, permission so for the poor women they got a lot of difficulties to get um, 
uh, trouble from mission. So the, to solve the uh, problem is fleeing from the country. That's one case, and also introducing bot uh, bot restrictions. So mostly in northern Rakhine state, since 20 years, uh, the in most area, uh, the the Rohingya women can get only two children. If they have more than two children, they will face uh, the children will not get birth certificate, or the parents will get fined or imprisonment. So those happen, and also restrictions on economic, education, and and daily life, and restrictions. The major restrictions is like uh, restrictions on movement. So since that time, they introduced like travel authorizations form. So the Rohingya, if they want to get, uh, uh, if they want to travel one village to another village, they have to get permission. So to get these permissions again, they have to pay money. Uh, without money, the authority or the police or the security forces would do nothing. So, so it is just like um, a hell for them. They use the experience for twenty years, and after the van, it it is ongoing. Uh, in up to twenty ten during elections, after the elections, they hope that they will their life will be will change, but it didn't happen. And even after 2012 balance, it's increased now. So it's 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 significantly increased after after 2012. The restrictions on uh, freedom of movement uh, was used to be in northern Rakhine state, uh, but it's now spread to the every uh, the whole the whole Rakhine state for all Rohingya and even for uh, Khmer and other Muslims in Rakhine State. Mm -hmm. And the students are stopped going to the uh, educations, uh, edu mainly to the university. Now, in addition to the, the discrimination practices that you have just discussed, um, I, I understand that um, Muslims have been largely excluded from the forthcoming election um, in November, both as voters and as candidates. Could you uh, explain that process? Yeah, after the violence, while the uh, uh, a lot of people were displaced, uh, particularly 150,000 were displaced in Rakhine State, we expect that people who were displaced will not get voting rights. But now what happened is the whole, all Rohingya, the whole community itself uh, faced disenfranchisement and the voices exclude all the, uh, reject all the candidate registration uh, from Rohingya community. So my father himself was an, uh, an, an elected MP in 1919 elections, an eligible candidate in the in that election, in 1919 election. Now he is chairman of Democracy and Human Rights Party. It's mean that he already scrutinized uh, as citizens. That's why he can be a, a, a first leader of a party. But even he himself was rejected from the 
uh, election registrations and they are asked to show their great great parents documents of living in Rakhine state or being citizens of the Rakhine state where there was no citizenship card uh, until 1952 in Burma but they were asked to show them unlike other candidates in other parts of the country but they were asked even my father could able to show many documents of their great grandparents and great grandparents he was rejected and likewise all Rohingya candidates uh, including in another candidate who is re uh, currently uh, uh, in the parliament uh, and Ushui Mong is also rejected. So it means that it doesn't matter who who you are or you are a citizen or not. You can show your uh, uh, discriminatory, even discriminatory documents of all your ancestors or not. It's just because you are Muslims or you are Rohingya. So they all are excluded. So it's also related to the uh, about one million Rohingya future. It's kind of, you know, uh, total exclusions and stripping of all fundamental rights of the Rohingya step by step. Mm -hmm. This is the right to participate in the elections is the last right we had remain. We, ha uh, we had remain, but now even this was uh, stripped. Uh, even though all the Rohingya were able to uh, participate in 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 2010 elections up to 20 all elections in Burma up to 2010 elections now it's like by I uh, 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 creating conflict and putting major uh, a lot of them in the camps and at the end you know this is like the final step to will take away their legal status in the country by excluding political rights in politics. Now, a number of commentators, journalists, and human rights organizations have been very critical of Aung San Suu Kyi's lack of action, um, indeed a lack of condemnation of both this ethnic violence and the exclusion of the Rohingya from the electoral protest. What is your view on why this icon of human rights and civil liberties has chosen not to speak out about the plight of the Rohingya and Muslims more generally in the country? Yeah, of course the Rohingya uh, are Name as one of the most persecuted community in the world, even by the UN, and for many years. And their situations is uh, living as uh, living in open prison, and majority of uh, I mean, a lot of them are living in squalid camp of Rakhine State and without having uh, enough humanitarian assistance and lack of health care and educations and all livelihood. Uh, uh, but uh, in that situation, it is quite shocking and to uh, experience or to, to, to see the silence of democrat, world democratic icon Aung San Suu Kyi. It is so disappointing, but 
Um, but I would say that uh, I think that she also ha she also has uh, difficulties to take a, a stand um, in this uh, issue and discriminations because of the arising uh, uh, the arise of Buddhist nationalism in Burma uh, because this movement, it's not just uh, natural. It's 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 very uh, controversial and it's creation uh, from someone. So for her to take a step to uh, for for in this in this injustice, uh, it will be risks for her political stand and for her popularity and support. And she minds, but at the same times as a democratic icon. Uh, what we expect is she could have said or spoken out against this injustice and it is very shameful that she's uh, silenced in this uh, uh, in this injustice situations. It's not just a conflict between two communities but it is one-sided obviously uh, when we look at the figure of displacement and when we look at, look at the uh, number of killed, uh, a death, and the people who are fleeing from the country, uh, those things obviously say that it's not, uh, uh, it's not conflict between two communities. It's one-sided. So she could have ta uh, spoken uh, against this one-sided uh, injustice situations. Uh, however, uh, we also could understand her situations, and we hope that uh, we st we are still supporting her parties and her political stand. Uh, and we because we hope that if we have more democratic government, uh, we can find solutions in, and uh, we can have more dialogue, and we can have more right to speak and our voice would uh, be heard by by the democratic government so we can and find solutions uh, uh, more democratic way uh, and also we believe that if we have more democratic government they might not have uh, intention to expel or to Finish or the whole com community uh, ethnic group in from the country. In, a, in addition to your individual work, you have set up a number of civil society organizations in Burma, uh, including the Women's Peace Network, Arakan, Justice for Women, and most recently you launched a campaign called My Friend. Um, could you talk about these organizations and the work that they do? Yes, after I was released from jail in in 2012, uh, the violence uh, happened. After the violence, I decided to set up Women Peace Network Arakan because I want to work for the uh, Rakhine State to promote peace in Rakhine State and to end discriminations in Rakhine State and to promote and protect rights of all individual in 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 Burma. So with that missions, we have been uh, doing some programs uh, in Women Peace Network Arakan, like uh, capacity building uh, of, uh, for the youth in in 
politics, social activities, and peace building in support of Burmese democratizations, um, and also uh, doing some work for the anti-discrimination uh, advocacies and campaigning uh, like that, and also, uh, uh, yeah, setting uh, up. Uh, after that, uh, in 2013, when I finished my education, uh, uh, my law degree, I set up Justice for Women because um, one of my passions is to work for the women. And since I was in jail, I saw a lot. I met with a lot of uh, women, and I felt their self. I I feel how they uh, their life is difficult and how they are suffering. And since that time, I dedicated to work for the women so that I set up justice for women with a few women's lawyers in Burma uh, uh, aiming to promote justice for the women with legal approach. Uh, through Justice for Women, we, we've, we, we do uh, trainings for the women and to promote uh, legal knowledge of women and, and like women's rights and also women access to justice and those um, uh, and also basic legal educations and we also do a campaign on violence against women and awareness raising like that we also have like free legal consultations program for the women through justice for women but my friend campaign is is just uh, uh, we've launched a few months ago. Uh, it was like creations of uh, Women Peace Network Arkan. Uh, through Women Peace Network Arkan, as I said, we have a program for young people, uh, trainings, uh, various kind of trainings in 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 the Women Peace Network Arkan free English classes, uh, civic education classes, conflict transformation classes. In those trainings, we put uh, uh, young people from different religions together, uh, not having, uh, not giving, uh, not only giving them knowledge in respective uh, uh, subject, but also having, uh, putting all, uh, I mean, putting uh, young people from different religions together is to make friendship and to build uh, mutual understanding and to build trust. So with that mission, we think uh, we have achieved somehow. Uh, the My Friend campaign is one of the outcome of this. So young people from our programs, alumni, and also young people from other network youth organizations joined together uh, and came up with the idea to promote uh, Tolerance and and strength of diversity in the uh, in in our society, while while Buddhist nationalism is uh, arising um, uh, strongly. So these young people from Women Peace Network Arkan and other uh, from other youth network came up together and and start campaign called My Friend Campaign, which is mainly. Uh, so, uh, social media campaign and taking pictures of your friend from different religions and posting posting on your social media by saying that, for example, 
I am a Muslim, my friend is a Buddhist, or I am a Buddhist, my friend is a Christian, so Muslims, whatever it is. And you can have like message, whatever you like. And we and we have hashtag called hashtag my friend campaign and hashtag friendship has no boundaries. Mm -hmm. So our themes is like, let's build beautiful future together. So you can add all these things and you can post your pictures with different young people from young um, uh, uh, different religion to get uh, on your social uh, media so that's the very simple and easy way to promote tolerance mm -hmm. and it is uh, we came up with that idea because uh, it is very sensitive when we talk about the discriminations and the hate speech and hate campaign no one can attack us so and we also decided to promote only positive messages so by this way you know it's like kind of a way of societal change mentality change conceptual change from negative concept to the positive concept so it is it is some of the attempt that we are taking step uh, for for to aiming you know hoping to go forward to the genuine democracy and peace in the country well, Wei Wei, um, thank you for joining us today. Um, you clearly are a tireless campaigner uh, for civil liberties in Myanmar, and we wish you um, success, and I'm sure that your um, positive role uh, will continue to be an inspiration to others. Uh, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much, and it was a good talk. <laughs> I hope so.